place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination. Conquest. Two men join forces in a struggle for power in a realm of fear. Conquest. An act of courage to conquer the Queen of Darkness. They faced the armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of conquest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett, and tonight I am joined by two erstwhile fellows who are going to join me in swinging a sword and bashing in a few skulls. With me is regular lunatic... Troy Gwynn. Troy? Yes. Hello. Hello. I can barely see you through all the mist and mesh, but I can, I can I have, you out. I have I can... strung up some gauze between yeah. us all so that we can get the same feel that the first third of this film gives you, which is someone needs to clean the lens. <laughs> to my right, the person who tends to join us every time we uh, attack a Lucio Fulci film, Mr. Jeff Nelson. Hello, Jeff. hello, hello. How are you doing these lately? I'm doing well, and... and... Unlike you guys, I love the fog. Oh, oh. yeah, okay, it's, going it's, everywhere. I love, I love the walls of fog. They're, they're actually painting the sets with fog. <laughs> well, my my feeling has always been. See, I didn't see this until it came to uh, in, until it came to DVD. Mm-hmm. So I never had to suffer through what a lot of people had to suffer through, which is probably really bad VHS presentations of this film. I don't remember seeing this as a bootleg in the '90s or whenever. I would have normally seen it, which is a bit of a shame, although I do think that that probably colors my feelings about this movie, and I'm not going to hide what I think. I'm going to tell you up front that I do actually like Conquest quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but I think that if I had seen it as a bootleg, you know, Mm third-generation VHS tape back in the 90s, my feelings of like Mm. would have been much Mm. dialed back. I think that's a good point. I mean... Because there were so many years that we would, you know, go to so many conventions and acquire a, a bootleg, a copy of this, a copy of that, a copy of this. Yeah. And and if I had all that fog in there, which it does, just think, you know, it's possible we might be thinking, oh, that's the quality of the bootleg. Well, we would, and we, and at the same time, there's almost no way it couldn't have affected the, what we thought of the content of the mm-hmm. film. I mean, it just yeah. almost goes to show. Yeah. Well, that's you I mean. Yeah, it's just it's a great place to just start because we're gonna have to talk about the way this film looks, and it's it's. Tell, I don't know of any other film that looks like this film. Do you guys like can think of? Have you ever seen any film that threw out that that's intentional? Oh, that's obviously they right. meant this because this you know the cinematographer is Alejandro Ulloa, who's a great cinematographer and worked mm-hmm. on some huge huge yeah. Euro films. You know, so I mean this was not by accident, and I think it's it fascinates me to watch it now. Because of the fact that they chose this film to look like this, you know, why and did they go this far with with making this film? This, like we said, it's the whole thing's filmed through a, obviously a mesh gauze, and then it's just layers of layers fog. of fog and smoke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. there's an awful lot of fog. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they've got the soft uh, filter lens. Yes, mm-hmm. and which is which is exciting because um, you've got sharp objects just surrounded by mist. Mm-hmm. That's what the soft 
soft uh, filter, soft lens does, soft focus lens, excuse me. But uh, but you do have a sharp object. It's just that you have a, um, you know, a glow around everything. Well, that's just it. <clears throat> I immediately just, I started writing down the words that occurred to me to describe the first, like I said, the first half of the film roughly, mm -hmm. just visually. And I wrote down the words fuzzy, gauzy, <laughs> hazy. <laughs> uh, oh, and I can't even, I can't even discern this word. I, I wrote down soft focus. Soft focused and dreamy, mm -hmm. uh, and then out to the side, art film question mark. Well, it's Be a good question because yeah, I, yeah. And, and you said the whole thing about dreamy, you know, is how much of this film is intentionally, I think, meant to seem like a dream, you know, yeah. seem like a dream, like a fantasy, like a, a, a you know, a world that isn't really you know here, you know, in a weird way, you know, it's or something from the ancient ancient past. Well, or especially the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. You don't. Yeah. Oh, you, absolutely. You literally don't know what you're looking at. No. And I don't necessarily, we're never really, I don't think, ever told that this is necessarily even Earth, you know. I don't think no. we, we don't right. know. This This may be, I think, maybe supposed to be a completely other world, you know, a planet. I think it's sub-middle Earth. Sub-middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> or sub-mental Earth, maybe. <clears throat> no, I, but you're right. I think that when you're looking, you're looking at the way this film was shot, it's, it's obviously a deliberate choice. Mm -hmm. And to my mind, going through this for the first time to re and really thinking about why these choices may have been made rather than just letting the film wash over me, mm. which is, I still think, the best way to approach the film the first couple of times you watch it. It seems like there's a there's a sense of them attempting to kind of create a mythological setting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A specific look to it that differentiates it from the standard way in which a film looks. In other words, this isn't um, the way... Conan the Barbarian is shot, which is shot mm -hmm. with a very realistic lens. We're 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 uh, we're trying to present this as as real as possible, so that it's uh, so that when the gritty things happen and uh, the violence and the and the various things occur, it has that much more of an effect on the audience. We're trying to make this mm -hmm. as, we're trying to make it realistic. Here, it seems much more along the lines of trying to create a kind of mythological world in which all these events are taking place, and therefore. There's this slightly off-kilter way in which we're going to look at it through this fuzzy, dreamy, mm -hmm. gauzy, yeah. soft-focused lens. And I kept, I kept thinking as the movie went on that in a way, and I don't know that this was necessarily what was going through either the cinematographer's head or mm -hmm. Fulci's head either way, was whether or not with Conquest they were attempting to kind of try to bring images from classic fantasy paintings to life. There are mm -hmm. moments when I see things that, granted, are just typical things that would be in a fantasy painting, a Frazetta painting mm -hmm. or a Boris Vallejo painting or anything like that, mm -hmm. to kind of set the mood for the cover of a, of a paperback novel mm -hmm. to give you a sense of the, the elements of uh, the fantasy story contained within the, the covers of whatever this book would be. But at the same time, even if they weren't, there had to be an idea that those kinds of images are what they were going to be playing with because of the type of story that they were telling or the very slight, very thin story they were telling. I mean, I have joked multiple times throughout my life about this movie that I'm pretty sure the entire screenplay could have been written on the back of a napkin. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. doesn't detract from the idea that maybe they were much more interested in presenting the story through images mm -hmm. and kind of mythological stereotypes than they were in creating characters with an arc or characters that you necessarily identify with because they represent certain things within, 
you know, the story or representative of one aspect of life or another. The idea may have been to just be trying to create a, a mythological world where all this weird stuff happens and not just because we want to create a world where we can have all of the crazy shit that happens mm-hmm. in here. Right. But also, I think, creating this dreamy atmosphere and then using some extreme violence to mm-hmm. to shock you out of it. You know, there are, I mean, this is, this is a film that came out in 1983 from Lucio Fulci. We're not too far away from the heyday of his gore renaissance yeah. with Zombie, The Beyond, City yeah. of the Living Dead, and yeah. so on. We're talking about a man who was known at that time for bringing a large amount of violence to the screen. The film he the film he made previous to this was New York Ripper, yeah. which he got eviscerated for for the level of depravity and violence in. And so, rather, I don't I don't know was he? You might think, well, I'll just pull back on all the violence. Well, he did later on pull back on all the violence for something like Murder Rock, mm-hmm. but in this movie, no. it's centered. It's full on Fulci. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing I would say first of all. Too, there may be people that might be Fulci fans or. It people who have a passing interest in Fulci that might have strayed away or, or just yeah. stayed away from this, not hearing that it's a fantasy film and thinking, well, I'm more into the gory Fulci. It's like, let us tell you, this is not, this, this is you would not be disappointed if you're looking for gore because these are not. I mean, these are there's not much of a drop off in the levels of gore between this and like and like House by the Cemetery or, no. or you know, it's it's pretty grim, pretty it's, gruesome. It's shocking at times and it really and is. very much in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. This this film does wallow in one little thing that I do know that we should probably warn people about. If you've never seen Conquest um, and you're curious about it, be warned that. Um, I'm not sure how many snakes get killed in this movie, <laughs> but I know that at uh, least one definitely got murdered mm-hmm. right in front of us. Yeah. Possibly two. I'm unclear. I'm yeah. sure yeah. there might have been a little bit of cinematographer's brilliance mm-hmm. injected into how certain things were shot, but I, there's there's one snake that definitely, uh, definitely ended its life mm-hmm. <laughs> to make this film, so be aware of that at the very least. Um... This was the first time going through this movie that I realized there are no horses in this story. Nope. Not at all. All of this is mm. barbarians on feet or monstrous critters on feet. It's weird the things that are in this that you think of as typical things that are part of a type of this type of high fantasy story. There is no, you know, giant broadsword. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The the magical weapon in this yeah. in this film. And it is a magical weapon, even though mm-hmm. they don't ever talk about it as being a magical weapon, although that's exactly how it's presented throughout the movie, is a bow. Mm-hmm. And um, as cheesy as the special effects representing the magical nature of this bow are, I mean, I'm going to admit to it. Yes, well, they are. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's 1983, uh, you know, it, it, co- it goes right along with the music, you know. I mean, like if you heard the Claudio Simonetti, if yeah. you heard, if you heard, if you, if somebody said, if you put on that soundtrack and said, what era was this film made? <laughs> you know, you'd be like, I'm good. I can oh, name that well, era in two notes, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like, I can probably narrow it, you listen, you even yeah. to the right person, they can probably narrow it down to within like a, an 18 month period of time. <laughs> probably yeah. between, you know. But you're, you're right, there's, there's a very little construction. There's very little yeah. sets, except for the couple oh, yeah. underground sequences. There's actually no sets. And there is, I would, I would argue that there is one that's obvious, and it feels like the only segment of the film that I would argue seems like it, was, it may have been kind of 
wedged into the movie to kind of up the <laughs> to kind of up the uh, the appeal to uh, Fulci fans, which I, I think they're on a set during that segment when uh, when uh, our beefcake mace mm-hmm. is being attacked by those zombies that come out of the water. That looks mm. to me because it's very very frog you know very very fo- foggy and there's something about the way that shot and the way everything is played where it feels like we're on a set instead of outdoors. I could be wrong, but it just I feels like I, it's I, that, I that pool is constructed there. and not yeah. very deep. And actually, I lied. I guess the Okrons set. Yeah, oh, Okrons layer. Okrons, Okrons layer. layer. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It's right. a, a set. But I hadn't thought about with that. The, with, right. Yeah, with the big big stone ta- stone heating table, the uh, stone cooking table. There <laughs> That's the right. She's got the biggest stone stone oven there. You know, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that. Ha- I guess that does have to be a set. Cook although it does look tortillas right there. Well, that's where you keep dinner warm. (laughs) That's where you keep dinner warm when the werewolf creatures won't come in from playing. Before we get too further, I have to ask the uh, the the question I always have to ask is how how much are we going to spoil this for our loyal listeners here? Uh, We're going to spoil the crap. Okay, so see this movie before. See that it's easy to get your hands on. So see the movie before you listen to us. And and mainly because I honestly don't. I don't think there's a way to spoil this movie because I mean, what are we what are we going to say about it? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, there is one thing that I think would be contentious as a spoiler. There is a character who, shall we say, loses his head. Yeah, well, I mean... I, so maybe, maybe, we, maybe yeah. we don't spoil that. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a good idea. We'll, we'll see as we go along. Okay. But for, uh, for, for knowledge's sake, understand that this is a movie that Fulci did for obvious reasons. Got to make it the money. Yeah. And at the same time, he did this... Um, it, it, it stands out as different from the other films that he had made just before this because he did not originate the story mm-hmm. or the script. Yeah. Um, this is this is the first time that this had been true since his massive hit with Zombie. Mm-hmm. Zombie is a movie that was going that was originally going to be directed probably by Enzo Castellari and he passed on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of essentially just said, oh, you know, it would be perfect or it would be this, it would be Lucio Fulci. He's probably the perfect director for something like this. And then of course that altered Fulci's career for the rest of his life. So um, this would be the first time since Zombie that he did not have a hand in crafting the story of whatever film he was making. He was a for-hire director. Yeah, in this respect, it's true. Yeah. That was, that, he would return to being that occasionally through, mm. through, you know, over the next decade or so, but it wouldn't be the norm. And it, it's interesting in this respect in that I have always thought of... Uh, this film, ever since I first saw it, as, of course, essentially being uh, a ripoff, for lack of a better term, of something like Conan the Barbarian yeah. or uh, Sword and the Sorcerer, all the, you know, Hawk the Slayer, all those films made around that time yeah, yeah. that um, we, we all think Your of. Or think Ador, of, all that stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it, it, and it wasn't, I don't know why, mm-hmm. <laughs> call me crazy, the two films that I now realize that it is most aping, <laughs> and I use that word advisedly, <laughs> Uh, I never really thought about until thinking about the movie this time, having gone back through this movie a couple of more times, which is You're the Hunter from the Future, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff, you and I have talked about, at length about You're the Hunter from the, tu- oh, yeah. the Future in the second episode of this podcast. 
Go back and listen to it. Boy, did we beat that dead horse. We even watched the, we even watched the four-hour version. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, three, it's only three and a half. Oh, well. Okay. Don't, don't sell it short. Yeah. I'm sure there's an extra 30 minutes out there somewhere. It hasn't been discovered yet. And I would watch it. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not only uh, that it really is much closer in uh, what it's trying to do to something like what Marguerite's Your, Your, The Hunter from the Future is, but it's also very close to another film that just never occurred to me because... I've never been that much of a fan of it. Quest for Fire. Ah, so glad you said that because mm-hmm. that was what I put in my notes. I put, I put, you know, I, I was saying Conan the Barbarian just because that was such, you know, if you were to make a list of like the 10 most influential films yeah. on the Italian mm-hmm. cinema of the 70s and 80s where you've got Jaws, you've got Dawn of the Dead, you know, you got to throw Conan in there. Right. So, so I did have, I had... Escape Conan, from New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's another one. I, but I put, uh, and Road Warrior, that's another video, yep. but I put... Uh, I put Conan. I put this is like Conan meets uh, Quest for Fire is what I yep. put in my mm-hmm. list. But yeah, yeah. But it does also have those weird elements, uh, not the the science fictional elements that Yor ends up having, mm-hmm. but it does have elements that you're just not expecting. I mm-hmm. mean, there's no you, the when this story begins, the supernatural element of the the ma- the magical nature of the bow mm-hmm. uh, is not something that the movie kind of slaps you upside the head with, but it does slowly pre- present it as the movie progresses and so it becomes something that um, has to fall into that category of boy that's a weird element you know <laughs> just like how when suddenly we start seeing Darth Vader clones prance around with your you yeah. know, it, with, with your you know and threatening him and it suddenly becomes wow this is a different movie ain't it <laughs> I've moved into a different area here so um, I find that this movie and like I say I will firmly admit I still have to this day never watched Quest for Fire mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know why exactly mm-hmm. it's never particularly interested me mm-hmm. maybe one day I need to just to get that particular bit of cinema history under my belt I've seen it once and I remember it as being pretty good pretty aggressive yeah I, I hear good things yeah I remember seeing it as well and also Clan of the Cape Bear oh yeah Came right. out See, I've never time. seen that I've yeah it's a good movie too yeah that's a movie that I actually Clan of the Cape Bear is one that had an incredibly bad reputation and what's weird is that just in the past year or so I've started to read kind of retrospective pieces about how people are coming to it now hmm. and actually hmm. thinking that actually reevaluating it and thinking of it in different terms so now I'm kind of I've never I've never watched Clan of the Cave yeah. Bear either and so now I'm kind of curious about it so there you go you can change my mind about these things over time <laughs> but what it seems to share in a lot of these different films even to a large degree something like Conan which is that uh, Conquest is a very episodic adventure story. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a single very linear story that this movie follows from beginning to end. Uh, there is the the uh, although Conan does have a uh, an overarching story that involves him, uh, you know, coming to, coming to find a way to exact revenge for the the murder of his people and the the deaths of his parents, but that is not something that the film presents to you as it goes along as an overarching theme. It's something that reoccurs until it becomes the driving force of the last half of the movie. Uh. And so Conquest doesn't have that. (laughs) Conquest, (laughs) if you're looking for the big flaw that most people are going to point to coming to Conquest cold, it's that what the hell is the story? And I would put that question to both of you. Gentlemen. What is the story of Conquest? How would you boil it down to just one or two sentences? 
Oh, Troy, you're going to have to take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's Troy desperately hoping Jeff's no, going to no, step in. Because Jeff and I actually talked a little bit before the show that we both felt like watching it this time around that, that you know, the story does, I mean, as, as many different elements as there are there that you can say the story's batshit crazy, you can say that, but it also felt like it does kind of tie together better than I thought it all did, that it does actually have. You mentioned... I think the two main characters do kind of have arcs that they that they go through. You know, they're not they're well, not. They, they they have arcs, yeah. but there's no there's nothing in the story that's driving them to. In other words, there's not a revenge plot at all. There's no revenge plot here, is there? Well, there's there's a revenge on on both sides, actually. Okay, well, explain. Tell me okay, what well, the uh, main villainess, her name's Okron. 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 Yeah. Which is sounds like a corporation. Yeah, exactly. Or, well, it, or a new it, it, transformer. Well, it's well. No, what it sounds like to me is uh, is the parent company of OCP and RoboCop. Oh, so, there, there, right. yeah, there you go. There you go. So she she seeks a revenge upon this uh, our our main hero here, who uh, receives the, the bow and arrow or the, the magical bow. Well, it's because bow. Yeah. she's seen a vision of him killing her. That's so right. It's almost right. like the Perseus kind of you know, or or, or sorry, the Jason uh, Jason the Argonauts. I'm sorry, where that. You know the the king is told that Jason's going to eventually kill him. You know it's right. it's a story that's been told to me in towns where somebody finds out. You know somebody's somebody's they are told in a prophecy or in a vision. You know that, that yeah, somebody's going happen. after him, and that's yeah. what basically Okron sees in a vision that apparently she gets high on ashes or something. We'll get to that. They Let's, her yeah, her. we need to talk about but, this drug thing. Yeah, but anyway, she sees this vision of Ilias is his name, right? Yes, correct. Well, she sees a vision of a someone with a bow and arrow that's going to be her faceless. Undoing. Faceless. That's a, that, faceless. is that amazing? Yes, that faceless. amazing yes, image yes, of this faceless yeah. person. And I think Troy and I agree here. I think this is really actually kind of fascinating because she sees this. You know her demise in this dream state, right? And basically, um, you know, the person's attire is Ilias, and uh, so she's going to do something to basically stop this from occurring. Mm-hmm. But so essentially, she's acting in self-defense, right? Otherwise, yeah. she would just be a sweet lady who just eats, <laughs> eats, just eats brains, who prances around completely nude, yes, with this gold mask over her head. Yes, yeah. this yeah. is all totally normal. Yeah. Well. I don't know about you, but they're they're like they're like a dime a dozen downtown. They're all over the place. But then, old mass, silver mass, they're everywhere. And, and also later on, Ilias does say that she has to be killed, um, just for the mere concept of how many people that that uh, Okron has already killed, already de- you know destroyed other other uh, villages, well, things like oh, that. Oh well, yeah, he's yeah. Okron well, is definitely a murderous wench. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. What what with her her pack of where. Mm-hmm. Wolf creature things, and she's like managed, yeah. or something. And like she's that. managed to apparently, uh, she's managed to apparently um, con the local uh, inhabitants of this planet into believing that she has powers and abilities that she doesn't really have. Something that would never happen she in our current that, world. I thought world that was really interesting. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was but yeah, really interesting. But yes, but she, yes, she has them convinced that she controls the sun. You know, yeah. she's the one yeah. who brings yeah. the sun down every morning. And know. so she's got the villagers. Mm-hmm. You know, she's basically stepping on the of the mm-hmm. uh, of the villagers because basically they're going to lose their all their crops mm-hmm. if, right. if the sun doesn't come up the very next day. Mm-hmm. And they, they, in order to appease her, they make sacrifices to her. But when it's not enough, her minions <laughs> take. Take some of the actual <laughs> minion. You take some of the actual inhabitants, yeah, and and they'll rip them in half and eat. rip them in half and yeah. feed her, and she feeds the, the, the feeds on the brains. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of a it's a metaphor for our times. Isn't it? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> the evil overlords are lying to you about actually being the owners of the sun. Yeah. But uh, if you go against them, they will rip you apart and eat your brains. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Sounds. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I think that's not, one of the taglines on the poster. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Defeat the evil overlords. Yes, this, this entire movie is simply a call to arms against the the oppress the the rich oppressors who mm-hmm. who lorded over all of us. Of course. <laughs> How did I not see that? <laughs> did you want to give a synopsis? As a matter of fact, yes. Now we're, here's we're the trying thing. and not doing very well. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> well, I wanted to, I wanted to discuss it a little bit before we leapt into a, a, a synopsis, mainly because. Um, there is a certain fascination with this film that I think that it's easy to have. Um, even if you do not like this movie, there is a certain measure of unforgettableness to it. There's a there's something yeah. about the movie that is going to lodge in your memory, so, whether it is the you know pretty much naked woman in the gold mask, mm-hmm. whether it is the uh, gargantuan amounts of uh, grotesque violence. Uh, whether it is the fact that you know you you feel like you you need to reach forward and pull the cobwebs aside from your television screen, <laughs> one or the other. You're trying to adjust the contrast of your television. Yeah, yeah trying to it's like there's got to be a way to see this better. <laughs> I can I can hear everything, but they're not saying much of interest. <laughs> <laughs> then man, we could we could have a discussion about the dialogue. Oh, some but, awesome rich dialogue in this film. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much communicated through the dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Almost yeah. nothing. Anyway. No. <laughs> I, I have come out and stated that I am a fan of this film, and I really am. I, I've never felt uh, a dislike of the film. Uh, my initial viewings of it did have me thinking that I was going to be one of those people who enjoyed this movie but had to defend it to a certain degree. And as years have gone on, I've realized that there are more and more of sick puppies like me who are willing to defend this film, for which I'm grateful, don't get me wrong. But... It is not all of us. It is not all of people who enjoy Lucio Fulci, fan, Lucio Fulci fans who are willing to tolerate this picture. One of the more famous of these Lucio Fulci fans is Stephen Thrower, who has written a wonderful book uh, called Beyond Terror. He wrote it uh, decades ago now and uh, has revised it a couple of times. And it is a wonderful reference work for fans of Lucio Fulci's movies. But uh, Mr. Thrower does not like this movie. Oh, wow. Now we're going to use his synopsis, his breakdown of the story of Conquest to go to kind of go through it. But before we do that, mm-hmm. I wanted to set the scene for how he presents the movie. We're not going to turn on Fog Machine, are we? You might as well. <laughs> Is it under the table? Toy? <laughs> it's got a foot pedal. Um, I'm going to read to you the uh, final paragraph of his one-page I, it's not. It's kind of a review. It's an overview. He gradually gives one page of this huge book. Out of this book. monstrous <laughs> tome, out of Beyond Terror, he he deigned to give conquest kindly one page. And he still weeps over the tree that died in order to give this page. <laughs> yes. Life. Yes. Well, it's like there's one other page that has you know like poster art from it, mm-hmm. and then we move swiftly on. <laughs> so here's what I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read out this final paragraph so that you get a sense of uh, if you dislike conquest. You are, I will admit, in good company, okay? It's perverse and almost amusing that Fulci should enshroud his macho tale of daring do in such a Stygian fog. Conquest mummifies its hero in an undifferentiated state, more evocative of a stifling nightmare of the archaic womb than the pre-civilized brute male freedom more conventionally celebrated by the genre. That said... There is a homoerotic buddy bonding quality to the relationship between Ilias and the older character Mace, 
and some possible innuendo can be had reflecting on the significance of Ilias's magic bow. Oh. Rivero and Ochapinto, the or Ochapinti, the uh, the actors who play mm. those two characters, mm. seem to be checking each other out as the film progresses. But maybe I'm reading too heavily against the grain of this bland drama, in an effort to sustain personal interest. <laughs> no wonder Dardando's uh, Sacchetti mocked Fulci's conviction that this was to be his big break away from his regular collaborators. If Conquest was the only Lucio Fulci film in existence, no one would mourn the absence of others. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Now, those are the words of a man who don't like this movie. Yeah, again, 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 yeah. Stop reading around the bush there, Stephen. Tell us what you really... <laughs> Mr. Thrower, please explain. <laughs> don't sugarcoat it now. Yeah. I would prefer it if you just gave me the straight dope, sir. <laughs> so, with that in mind, keep, keep a level head. If you don't like Conquest, you're in good company, and you also can uh, rest assured that even someone who has taken Lucio Fulci's films deadly seriously and who has written... Thousands of words. And dissected so many of them. Exactly. Thinks that you are right that Conquest is a piece of shit. (laughs) It's garbage. And I disagree. I do too. I'm willing to say, oh, well, well, Troy has come out of the closet as well. I'm standing up. Right there with you. All right, we got three. That's right. I was gonna. You didn't I, know. You thought we were just getting. No, ready I was. I thought that y'all were gonna wait until the right, per, <laughs> the right point in time when I was, I was stretched out making some, some ridiculous metaphoric statement about the, 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 the joys of watching this film, and you were gonna shiv me. We were gonna both say, Rod, you ignorant slut. <laughs> you useless piece of shit. You're only watching this to see mud-covered nipples. That's all you're doing. You wouldn't be wrong. Mud-covered, yeah. mud-covered nipples are, are, are a draw. I'm not, not going to shy away that from that. That is a certain finish. Yep. Oh, well, you know, let's not uh, let's not get too much of my uh, my own personal interest out there in the public domain. Let's not, mm. uh, let's not make this too well-known. Uh, I may have I to did, edit this. Wait. I, you could probably level a lot of criticism at this film that I could see where oh, someone's yeah. coming from. I do find it strange that he talks about have, that the film had, that he had a hard time sustaining interest simply because this film throws if there's one if there's one thing it definitely does is it throws a new idea a new visual a new something at you almost every two or three minutes you know know. and it it, it could be just maybe because of the that look of the film you know because it is kind of a dreamlike look to it that it may actually have maybe a sort of a lulling effect on the viewer that maybe all this crazy stuff that's happening just it's happening behind this wall of smoke and you know that it just doesn't Hit you in quite the way, some people in quite the way that it could have had it been a little more starkly filmed or something more dramatic, like, you know, with things happening more crunch, crunch, instead of just sort of. Well, I also wonder. Happening if, almost in just sort of a stream of consciousness yeah. way, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Well, see, I also wonder, and this is something we've talked about with, uh, with other films of this type, is whether or not he, what he was basing this on was a not quite full strength cut of the film. In other words, mm, mm. if some if he was watching a version of the film that was say four minutes shorter, which is what the British version of it was, mm. where uh, some of the more graphic and yeah. shall we say eye-opening violence had been taken out, yeah. that would soften the movie to a good extent mm-hmm. enough to where it didn't have some of those peaks of kind of shock moments right. that can sometimes kind of get you over the get 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 you reset mentally for whatever comes next. Mm. I don't know. I don't have a way to. I, unfortunately, I don't have a way to, to talk to, to talk to Mister Thrower mm-hmm. directly to find out for sure. But I would I would love to know. Yeah. And also, I this th- he has to have been writing about this movie 
dealing with um, VHS copies because this was definitely he was writing about this film definitely before there were digital versions yeah. of these films. So uh, I think we're talking about the possibility that he was watching a low-res a low version of this film, which would have made it even more difficult to kind of suss out whether or not mm -hmm. what you were seeing was something you were enjoying or not. Very true. And I think it's it's another thing I want to comment on that you mentioned there. It's, you know, it, even though it's, it's very easy to always throw out the term homoerotic subtext anytime you have two guys scantily clad, you know, yeah, <laughs> walking yeah. through, you know. But I will say that, you know, what, that I will grant him this, that the... And one of the stories, many, many unpredictable kind of twists there now is that what you think is going to be the budding romance of the film is snuffed out real quickly. Oh, I you know. know. And there's no mm -hmm. romance in this film. And you think that you, again, there's a lot of things and, you don't think is, it's going to be. And do. is there a story there? In other words, is there something being said with mm -hmm. that yeah. in the way the story is constructed? Because you're right. right. We're introduced to this, this young woman who mm. is very obviously about to have a sexual relationship with... Ilias, mm -hmm. and that does not come to fruition. No, no. and uh, not not for lack of trying on both of their parts. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that was a weird way to put that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, that did, did, didn't mean to put it that way. But God, you get a cookie. <clears throat> I don't think I want that cookie. But <laughs> that, that that cookie was unwarranted. But <laughs> I do think that anytime a film goes out of its way to present a heterosexual liaison mm -hmm. and then nip it in the bud that violently mm -hmm. while spending the majority of the time having two men, once again, scantily clad, spending mm -hmm. almost all their time together, yeah. you're, 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 you're going to end up with those thoughts running through almost any audience's mind eventually, yeah. which is, no, it doesn't necessarily need to be a sexual relationship, but that closeness, the relationship obviously bends itself toward gets more and more in-depth as the story goes on. I mean, at the beginning, remember, when Ilias meets Mace, Mace is very much the the, the standard, typical solo hero, the yeah. lone guy. Yeah. The, I have no friends. Yeah, yeah very much going yeah. out of his way to explain that he really doesn't like people that much, mm -hmm. to demonstrate very straightforwardly how much more of an affinity he has for animals by uh, rescuing that hawk and nursing mm -hmm. him back to health. So you end up with uh, this, this loner character who would be perfectly at home in a Western, for God's mm -hmm. sake, mm -hmm. being very much the, uh, the the macho older man bringing along a younger acolyte who, hey, you know, maybe those feelings are there, maybe yeah. those feelings are not there. Yeah. But it's very easy to see it in the from the audience's point of view. Yeah. It's very easy to see it and project it on there, even if it's not necessarily meant by either the writer, the director, or the actor. Well, I think the audience is could be looking for this to happen. Yes. But I, I honestly, I think there was maybe two occasions that Ilias smiled at Mace, mm -hmm. and that was it. Mm -hmm. and, I don't remember. And, yeah. Uh, well, Ilias is so naive. He's, he's just too young. He's just too, uh, too green. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't know how the world, world works. And Mace has already been, the, been around the block several times. And he knows what he can do. He knows where he should go and where he should not be going. And so I think uh, he just tells Ilias to watch me do these things and then go on your way. And I think that it's interesting that the story goes in the direction of there being um, almost as much, if not more, of an influence 
from Ilias onto Mace mm-hmm. uh, to the point where by the end of the movie, mm-hmm. Mace is kind of taking Ilias's place in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there's that. When man meets a man, you never know which one will die. But when an animal meets a man, it's always the animal that dies. I'm on the animal side. Isn't this an animal you're eating? I didn't kill him. That's a pretty strange law. Not when you're hungry. What's wrong? I heard something. Probably animals prowling for food. Probably men looking for trouble. Stay here. Conquest, 1983. But the film takes place in a timeless land. Mm-hmm. We can be very happy this movie does not start with an ominous scroll. With yes. A, with a or voice yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, thank, thank goodness we're able to just start the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, a handsome youth called Ilias, played by Andrea Acipinti, who, by the way, is an actor who uh, Fulci had already worked with. He had had a pretty prominent role in New York Ripper. I knew I recognized him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Ilias embarks on a quest, leaving his paradise home for a fog-shrouded wilderness. From the, grod, from the god Kronos, he receives a magic bow to mark his passage into manhood. He enters a strange land where small tribes are terrorized by werewolves acting under the orders of Okron, a masked female of great evil. Now, let's discuss Okron just for a moment. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Okron as this uh, pretty much nude woman. Mm-hmm. She's got some kind of weird, I don't know, how do you describe that crotch covering of hers? I mean, what, <laughs> what, it, 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 it looks kind of rubbery. It looks like a sex toy gone wrong, but a sex <laughs> toy that would provide no pleasure for either partner. I don't understand it at all. She certainly has perfect skin from the neck down, anyway. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, that's uh, that's because she's played by uh, Sabrina Siani, mm-hmm. uh, an Italian actress. Uh, she goes under the ti- under the name Sabrina Sellers in the credits of this film. Hmm. If you're wondering why that's why Siani does not pop up there, uh, she's an actress who had a uh, had a a pretty strong heyday there in the '80s. She popped up in a lot of Italian films. Uh, she was in uh, 2020 Texas Gladiators. Uh, she was in. The Jess Franco films uh, Mondo Cannibal and uh, Cannibal Terror. Um, she was in uh, The Invincible Barbarian. She had a role in Ator the Invincible. Yes. Yes, let's hear some more Ator. Yes, that would be Ator the Fighting Eagle, uh, a film that I think that one day we will probably have to discuss. Mm-hmm. It's probably a requirement. Uh, for Antonio Margariti, she was in Hunters of the Golden Cobra. And she was in a, a, a little, uh, another little uh, barbarian sword and sandal film called The Throne of Fire from this same year, 1983. Um, had a role in Umberto Lindsay's Black Cobra with uh, Fred Williamson in 1984. 
and a few other films past then past that before it kind of flamed out and she went on to other things but it can't falter for uh being willing to just parade around naked yeah which is yeah. essentially what she does in this movie yeah uh you never see her face in this movie um because she's wearing a golden mask the entire time. And then even at the end of the film, when she gets a mask, let's just say you still yeah. don't see her face. <laughs> and maybe we leave it at that. Yes. My eyes were looking at some other places. Some of the, yeah, we're like, oh, she had a face? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, huh. there was a face there. I'm glad that they put that mask over it because I didn't want to be distracted by having to look at her face. Yes. She's <laughs> one of those ultimate uh, uh, wear bag. Just wear a bag, baby. Well, whilst in a drugged state, Okron sees a faceless youth with a magic bow who dares to attack her. She sends her werewolf servants off to look for him. Now, one quick thing. I have joked and called these minions of hers werewolves, but they don't seem to ever transform into anything other than the humanoid wolf-like state that we see them in all the time, so... Are they supposed to be werewolves, or are they just beast critters? I don't know, but there sure is a wolf motif in this film, and you know, yes. through going running through this film. Well, mm-hmm. But uh, um, I don't know, but I'd, I'd have to say, considering the considering how bad it could have gone and how low the budget I'm sure they worked with on this film is like, they're overall, you know, I, I thought that they didn't, the look of these guys are actually kind of cool. Oh, no, like, no, no. Know, I, think I think they, I think they look looking. great. Yeah. As yeah. a matter of fact, that's one of the shocks of coming back to this with an eye toward you know, critically staring at this is the, these werewolf critters, whatever we're going to end up calling them, they look pretty damn good. They do. Especially, you know, us all watching the Blu-ray. Yeah. I just assumed, uh, you know, we'd see much more uh, parts of the costume falling off or something like that. Well, there is one scene. There is one scene. Let's let's stop here. It happens later in the film, but there is one scene where uh, <laughs> during an action sequence where one of these werewolf fellers is being tossed, uh, being tossed by our hero, and the uh, the headpiece has come off, and if you pause it, yeah, you can see very clearly the uh, the actor's uh, uncovered head as he is slammed <laughs> to the as he is slammed yeah. to the ground, and uh, it was so hilarious that I. I, I did not remember that that happened, so I, now I'm completely unsure if I ever took note of it before mm-hmm. until this time yeah. around. Yeah. And I was like, ah, ah, and backed it up and went through it frame by frame. Hold on, let me see. It. Yep, there's that poor dude's face. Yeah, he's got the he's got the black makeup around the eyes to make yeah. sure everything fits well when the headpiece is on. Yeah, hey, it looks good. Looks good. Ah, they had, they didn't they didn't quite close edit that sequence no. well enough to to hide the fact that his head came off. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But overall. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, a gang of Okron's marauders try to steal the bow and capture Ilias, but are foiled when a when a rugged man in animal skins leaps to his defense. The man introduces himself as Mace. He's played by uh, Jorge Rivero, and he is an outlaw. After admiring the younger man's bow, Mace teams up with him. <laughs> Phrasing. <Yeah. laughs> I, know. I was about to say, I, I'm reading this. This is written by Stephen Thrower. And there's a part of me wondering if he's throwing in dick jokes. <laughs> yep. I didn't think about that before. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mace affects a dismissal of human affairs, but soon the two are friends. The older man cares for animals and has a bond with many, uh, with many different species. Let's talk for just a brief mm-hmm. moment about Mace's weapon of choice. Boy, howdy, I forgot it was the 80s. <laughs> and he has, I shit you not, people, fur-covered nunchucks. Yes. 
who in God's name thought <laughs> fur-covered nunchucks yeah. was good was a good idea? That was one, there that's a, the best weapon I can think of. <laughs> fur-covered nunchucks? <laughs> We're going to cushion the nunchucks? <laughs> hey, if you could choose between that and the ridiculously oversized sword in Sword and the Sorcerer, you know. I would beg for a katana? <laughs> a, a, a sword... Sturdy enough and light enough to actually be deadly as hell <laughs> instead of fur covered nunchucks. I feel like I'm talking to a deaf wall. Come on, people, think. This is not. This is not a good. Was there a great big wheel of ridiculous weaponry that they spun and they landed on fur covered nunchucks? Were there dumber choices? I'm not sure. Yeah. What did the producers say? No, let's let's no, let's not do that. Let's not do well, that. Ooh, fur nunchucks. <laughs> See, I think what happened was after they they made this really really not convincing wig. For Jorge Rivera, <laughs> they still had some extra material, so they're like, because I think they really look like they're made out of the same thing that his hair is made out of his wig. But um, uh, you know, I'm we just praised we praised a lot of the technical yeah. aspects of this film. His wig is not one of them that deserves praise. Very true. It's really that's, actually that's pretty true. distractingly bad, which is too bad because you know he does he, yeah. he does well as an action hero in this film. He makes oh, a good yeah. action hero. It's too mm-hmm. bad he has to wear this awful wig. He's actually good. I actually I actually like the performances of Me both too. of both these actors, especially Rivero, because yeah. I think he's very good in it. I think mm-hmm. he he's uh, he's actually the most uh, as far as actors in the film are concerned. Mm-hmm. He's the one that you your eye is drawn to most frequently mm-hmm. because he's not just because he's a, a dynamic character, but because the the actor carries himself very very well on screen. You believe him when you're watching him do. All the well, first he he seems to be doing the vast majority of his own action stunts. He's mm-hmm. doing a lot of the fighting himself. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's dynamic and he's interesting to watch. So hard to be upset with him at all, except for yeah, the hair. I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Okron sends Fando. I'm sorry, fa- uh, Fado. F A D O. Man, I'm glad he did the research on how to spell these characters' names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okron sends. Uh, Fando, the head of her brutal werewolves, to capture Ilias. The two friends have stopped to eat with a small tribe who live in a cave, offering a fresh animal kill as a gift. Now, it's interesting that Mace, our, our older character, uh, will gladly eat animals but refuses to kill them. Mm-hmm. So he waits for somebody else to kill an animal and then... Kills that person to kills take Kills them the to take the animal. <laughs> it's like... And it's something that Ilias immediately points out. It's like, so you won't kill the animal, but you'll eat the animal. And we had to thieve this off of somebody and, act, and ended up having to kill them. I mean, later on, they, the, the, the deer they take to this cave is one that they just stole, right? Yeah. They were hidden by the fog and just damn stole the carcass. But I, I love that the film is already pointing and poking and prodding at the 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 moral compass of our of our character of Mace, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting. We should also point out the original title of this movie was going to be Mace the Outcast. Uh, mm. The idea mm. was not to uh, kind of give it a generic title like Conquest, but to center the story as being the story of Mace. But I think that they may have been smart to not let that to not let that be the way the film was presented to the public because this way. It, the movie does really act as a two-hander. That yeah. is the friendship that forms between these two characters mm-hmm. that's the center of what we're watching. Yeah. And so by not having the uh, having one character or the other's name, you know, as the mm-hmm. title, I think that was a smart move. It's also the teacher and the student. 
Exactly. That's the classic. Yeah. Se- that's the mm-hmm. classic setup here. Right. But you're right because one of the joys of the film, the Wise Edwards' story unfolds, is because you think it's going to be one character's story and it ends up being an, the other uh, the other character's story. Really, ultimately. Right. Yeah, that's what. And I, if you another thing it, I really appreciate. Yeah. That. And if yeah. you named it, you're right. So not giving any character the title that would have given something away, you know, or or would have focused you in a certain direction. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, while they're in this cave, and by the way, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a small tribe. It just seems to be kind of an extended family. Uh, Ilias recognizes a young girl of the tribe seen earlier in his journey, and the two go off together. This is when we're about to get the porno music, but Claudio Simonetti is not given the opportunity. No, no. (laughs) Suddenly, masked attackers kill the girl, abduct Ilias, and steal his bow. This is a pretty brutal sequence because this is, you know, heads get bashed in and Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of violence cuts loose here. It's, uh, it's It's pretty, pretty vicious. Mace tracks them, and in a bloody fight... He rescues his young friend. Now, this is this is dancing around a lot of details in which uh, people are split in half and mm. brains are crushed in, <laughs> skulls are split, violence, you know, lots of violence. In this Ashes movie. are snorted. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that drug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, but he kind of brushes past the, the fact that Okron and her werewolf buddies uh, are snorting something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they've crushed up mushrooms or if they've... Uh, uh, extracted. Uh, I thought maybe it was the ashes for, of their victims, the people they've, know, you know that yeah. they've eaten and, and bro, you know torn in half, and she's eating the brains, and then they like burn and eat and sniff the ashes, snort well, the ashes. Well, you also have to wonder when when did this start? How oh, the, the drugs? Yeah. No, no, the, the, yeah. your concept. Hey, I think we should bash this guy's brains in, yeah. and then take <laughs> a piece and then yeah. burn it, yeah. and then take and that burn stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know where that you know where the burned brain of this person should be. Up my nose. That's where it should go. That's what I'm saying. Where did this start? Where did the creation of this? It's it's that old, old who had the idea. Who was the first person who thought? I think that inside that thing that just fell off this tree might be something tasty. I'm yeah. gonna bite. Yeah. So who That's thought? It. Let's burn a human brain and snort it and. And we're gonna because they start acting. I mean, honestly, these are people on heroin. These people are like these werewolves are like laying around. Mm. Yeah. Kind of just swimming through their own thoughts and thinking about yeah. wonderful things like loping after other werewolf people. Or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what's going through their heads, but it's all this weird, hazy strangeness. And it, 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 it's it's it, it lends itself toward all these jokes because yeah. they're snorting it and they're yeah. using these long things that are very obviously straw-like. Yeah. So we're yeah. talking about so is it cocaine? <laughs> no, it's producing which is the height height of that area era. <laughs> Right. I know. Well, you expect one of them just say like, "I got to learn this from Stevie Nicks," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I once saw them do. I once saw them do rails off the corpse of a hooker in the, in the back of a truck after a Black Sabbath show. It's like, what the hell are we looking at here? It's like they're all going to go to Studio Fifty Four next. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to take the dead hooker. That's the best thing I ever snorted coke off of. Bring the dead hooker until she deteriorates. This is going to be great. Come to think of it, I can sort of see Okron wandering around a Studio Fifty Four. She sort of. Like, Oh, yeah. Right in, you know, oh, well, like, yeah. Right I mean, in. she would have fit right in, quite honestly. <laughs> Her and Grace Jones. <laughs> well, back at Okron's lair, Fado is burning on a hot... Uh, a hot... <laughs> I got the world's uh, largest pizza stone is what this thing is. <laughs> well, what, what's hilarious is that Stephen Thrower calls it a giant hot plate. <laughs> <laughs> that, that works too, yeah. As punishment for his failure to, uh, to hold on to Ilias. Enraged... Okron summons the great Zora. Now, Zora is a spirit who resides in the body of a white wolf. 
She offers herself, body and soul, to Zora if he can kill the youth Ilias. Now, this is typical fantasy stuff. This is right out of something that would have been written by Robert E. Howard mm. or uh, Fritz Leiber, any of those. These, this would have been the central can-you-believe-how-evil-this-character-is mm. part of one of these fantasy stories where we summon a freaking demon, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a spirit that spends most of his time as a wolf, for God's yeah, sake, right. to come and do this thing that I can't get my freaking werewolves to do. And it's like, <laughs> in the back of my head, all I can hear is Dr. Evil begging for the, the shirts <laughs> with freaking laser beams. And, hey, here we go. So we've got another character. Well, and she tells him, man, do this, and you get to screw me. Ex- yeah, says, yeah that's right. essentially. Yeah. So Ilias, decide, uh, Ilias decides that he will punish Okron for her evil crimes and exhorts Mace to join him. Mace refuses saying that he and Okron stay clear of each other. Mace agrees to escort Ilias as far as the seashore from where he must sail to Okron's fortress. On the way, they are assailed by hundreds of tiny arrows that fly from nowhere because we've got to fill time. No, and, I'm kidding. And we still <laughs> never see where they ever come from. <laughs> they really come from nowhere. We have no <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. Ilias is hit and breaks out in hideous boils. So these things existed essentially to yeah. to, to impart this hideous disease to whoever they hit. And to give Fulci another chance to gross us out, which he does. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Oh, my God. These, Good Lord. these hideous boils all over this guy's body. But you also have to keep the characters together. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is another way to right. keep yep. that separation uh, you know, to push that separation further down the st- down the story. And to gross us out. I think <laughs> This is true. Mace sails with him along the coast to a place where a special plant grows that will cure his affliction. After an encounter with grotesque zombies, Mace has to do battle with a double of himself. Now, we're really rushing past some of my favorite stuff here. I do think that this battle with the grotesque zombies may have been put into the film. As a way to mm-hmm. have a zombie segment of this Fulci, movie because Fulci was yes, making the movie. I was thinking the same thing. Not surprising at all. And it, But it feels so Fulci. I mean, it's great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great guilty pleasure or just pleasure well, when it see, happens because it's just zombies. like... zombies. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty see, damn exciting. Yeah. It's a great... and and But you're right. So much of the sound effects and the way it's filmed, you're just yeah. like, wow, suddenly we're in a we're in a Fulci zombie yeah. film yep. and it just fills every bit of it. And it's great. It's great for, you know... To, and it's to, just to, a few It's just a few minutes long. Yeah. It works mm-hmm. effectively for yeah. what the story needs at that point. Yeah. And I, but I, I will say, though, it is it is the only moment in the, in the movie where I go... I'm betting that somebody like made this happen. This is yeah. uh, this uh, this is something that feels like because if you mm-hmm. if you watch the scenes before and after it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this sequence feels like it's. It, I don't know if it was necessarily filmed much, filmed much later, but it does feel like it's as well as it fits, made later and made to fit into this section of the movie comfortably enough that everybody would just be it would be it's smooth enough to have you accept it in the audience because yeah. this is the point where he's looking for the magic flower that's right. going to cure so they're like well you can't just let him just find the magic flower you gotta have him he has to go through some sort of trial some sort mm. of task you know to get the flower you know it can't just be easy so but, but I think I think that it. maybe originally it was just gonna be the doppelganger stuff well yeah where right. he is it it, where been, he ends yeah. up fighting himself yeah it which by that. itself has uh, I, 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 I love that segment that because segment. I gotta admit I was a little surprised I recently rewatched an old episode of uh, of Star Trek where we have to have uh, Kirk fight himself, 
And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, every every time every time that uh, that stunt double's got his back to the camera, we know it's the stunt double. He just don't look right. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, the editing of this doppelganger fight yeah. mm-hmm. between the two maces yeah, it's done is very well. really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but really, I, for the most part, all the action sequences, you know, except for the werewolf losing his head or something, like that, <laughs> which but, is which you've got to slow the film down to see. Like, yeah. I'll admit. Yeah, know. most action sequences, you know, there may be sometimes when they're a little hard to see because of the lighting, but overall, they're pretty well done throughout the film. I think the editing on the on the action sequences is pretty good. I agree. I, I don't know who the uh, coordinator of the, of the fights were, was, but whoever it was knew what they were doing because it honestly does feel, you know, it doesn't feel like we're watching uh, bits and pieces shot at different times. It really feels organic every time we're in the middle of one of these sequences. Um, there is one little false moment early on in the movie where there's this one woman who's uh, been knocked down in the cave and is lying there and it's very obvious that Oh, she's been told to not to not move too much from yeah. where she falls. Yeah, mm. and she, it's almost as if the actress is looking around a little bit, and they really should have found a way to work around I, the fact that it doesn't look you, right. Yeah, I did see that too. You're right. You're but right. That's the fact that I can only find a couple of moments like that in a mm. movie like this is pretty good. I mean, you know, that's. Mm. <laughs> You, you you can you can even make up you, you can even make your own head cannon about why that woman would be so clueless and accidentally look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> also, one other thing uh, that's the first time you see Mace do something by himself completely yeah. on on camera. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's not uh, tied with Ilias right next to him. Yeah. Right. Well, when once Mace is done doing the battle uh, with the double of himself, he wins that battle. Big shock. Mace was going to win. There were only two Maces in this fight. <laughs> he wins, and the double is revealed as Zora, that spirit who, uh, who's who been sicked on them. Zora then disappears after reverting to his humanoid form. The special plant works, and Ilias is restored to health, but he has become disheartened, and he decides that uh, he's going to give up his quest. Mm-hmm. He sets sail for home, pleading with Mace to go with him. And I like the fact that... Um, the movie goes out of its way to have Ilias explain over the course of the, uh, of the movie that where they are right now, living is pretty hard because there are no you know no one's raising crops. People are the, the way you live is by hunting animals and uh, you know killing them and eating mm-hmm. eating animals. He says where I come from where I, where I grew up you know we we raise crops and. I forget how he communicates, but it's, it's very obvious well, that it it's, an agra- to, it's an agrarian society. I had to, yeah, because the line, I, I got kind of oh, made me laugh, I wrote down where he, because, you know, you say to him, he's like going to sell him on coming to my world, you know, where you say like, you know, we have, you know, beautiful women and, you know, beautiful lands and, you know, wondrous, you know, instead, what the thing he used to sell, he says, we have long-haired beasts that help us work in the field. That's right. I'm like, sold, I'm there. <laughs> Holy crap, really? Long-haired beasts? That's where I had well, to run it back several times to hear him but say that. Do you have a photo of this? I want to see what this is. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here, I was about to say, here's the thing. Mace loves when, animals. When you, Mace loves animals. Yeah. Maybe that's what he thought would honestly, be like the biggest draw. <laughs> I honestly think that that after, I had to run it back a couple times. Did he said what I think he said? Long, yeah, long-haired beasts, yeah. Us, and I'm thinking like maybe but you're right I think that's it it's like hey we got animals you like animals let's come over you yeah, know, you know you've we don't want to even get into that this area, animal. But, yeah. never even, you don't even know what it looks like come on man plus we make this thing called bread you're gonna love it <laughs> but did I mention the long haired animals <laughs> yeah yeah really there's, there's more than one type of long haired animal I don't know what floats your boat they have different colors too but that but overall that scene is actually kind of a good I think that's a good dialogue that's mm-hmm. actually pretty good dialogue scene there where he's yeah, you know where he tries to talk him into coming and he just says like you know i'm not i wouldn't fit in your world you know and it's it's pretty good little exchange between the two of them I mm-hmm. think. yeah so mace sets sail for home pleading with mace to go with him mace refuses and declines to even take ownership of the magical bow 
No sooner have they departed than Mace is attacked by a band of strange, cobweb-covered monsters. Now, these critters... Uh, the, yeah, the cocoonates is what I call them. The these things are, these are they, creepy. Yeah, they, they, are. they are. The I sound was, is like... Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's got a good voice box right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, these beasts tie him to a wooden cross and interrogate him for information about the whereabouts of Ilias. Even though we have never seen these some bitches before, no, we want Ilias now. Yeah, <laughs> and they are creepy enough to. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but they're just creepy enough for me to want to stay away from. Period. Anyway, yes. well, Mace refuses to cooperate. Ilias appears and saves Mace from the creatures because, and he's dancing around this, which is that Ilias is out on you know out on the lake in this boat, and he's headed back home. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, he just has a change of heart. And turns the thing around and comes back. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's a very interesting thing because that is another thing that if we're talking about creating a, a cinematic myth here, kind of creating, a, if we're going to say this movie is attempting to create its own mythological world, this point where the hero has reached essentially his lowest point in the story, mm-hmm. where he's given up and has even tried to give away his magical weapon to someone else and go back home, back to the world that he's already known, instead of being out in this unknown world where he's supposed to have gone and made a difference, this is the character's lowest point. And the the fact that he is out on the water, in this boat, having given up, and then changes his mind, turns around and comes back, That's uh, it, it's, it's handled in a way that is typical of a lot of these kinds of myths, where the the turning point is very much, it has to be an internal turning mm-hmm. point. In other words, it can't be something that someone is convincing him of, right. you know, who's who's uh, pointing out things to him verbally or mm-hmm. or making arguments uh, against the, the, the feeling of being at the lowest ebb of his life. It has to be something that comes from within the character. The choice has to be made by the hero, and at this point in the film... We're looking at the young Ilias as the hero of the story, mm-hmm. with the older character as kind of the mentor pushing him along. The moment here is when the character makes the turn, when the character has met his darkest day and decided he will continue, he will go on. Mm-hmm. It's one of the many moments in the movie where you realize they really are trying to craft a fresh myth. Yeah. Building off yeah. of the pieces that almost every other myth has, all of these different stories have all of these different things in common. All these myths hold these things to be the junction points, the change points, the hinge points where characters change from one thing to another and the decision has to be made by them. But the movie kind of do- it doesn't underline it. As a matter of fact, it's kind of soft sold. We it's communicated very well that he's changed his mind and is going mm-hmm. back. And the next time we see him, though, is when he's saving Mace. Mm-hmm. And so it is really kind of this neat, really strong hero turn where Mace has been throughout the movie the guy saving the young Ilias. Mm-hmm. This yeah. time it's reversed, right. yeah. and it is yeah. because right. the way the the way the story is set up, this kind of myth, this kind of mythological tale is being told this way. Mm-hmm. That change happens when the hero makes that turn. Yeah, and it's pretty darn effective. And it is exactly the kind of cheesy thing in a film of this type that a certain type of audience will not take seriously. Will, you know, look at and laugh at right off the bat. I don't think any of us feel that way because 
my God, man, we watch things like You're the Hunter from the Future. <laughs> yes, we do. And enjoy the shit out. Exactly. We like these kind of stories. We and do. There's a certain there's a certain beauty in a well-done version of this kind of story. And I'm not going to, I'm never going <clears> to <throat> pretend that Conquest is like the best version of this kind of story. Mm-hmm. But it is a pretty damned interesting one. And it tries to do a lot of, it brings a lot of its, as you said, its own things to common story, you know, to have yeah. its, and I think it really does succeed in that. I think it's one of the more, you know, as far as just having original ideas and visual ideas, you know, I think it really has a lot of those, you know, compared to, compared to, you know, I've definitely seen a lot of films from this, this, this genre that, you know, were much more straightforward in their story and had much less new to bring to it, fresh, yeah. you know, yeah. to bring to it. Hurry up and leave, while you still can, Elias. I'm not leaving. I'm running away, let's be honest. You're a lucky man to be alive. Come with me. No, Elias. Life is easy, we have long-haired beasts that help us work in the fields. you like it there, believe me. I can't leave this part of the world. Why not? You're alone, you have nobody here waiting for you. I was born here. Your land may be better than mine, but I would always feel like a stranger. Here, take it. I won't be needing it where I'm going. But it belonged to your ancestors. You saved my life. I want to give you something in return. No. This weapon is still too dangerous for this land. Go. So with Mace tied to this wooden cross, Ilias appears and uh, saves him because Mace has refused to cooperate with these scumbags. And although the older man falls into the sea as the rescue progresses, um, mm. Ilias does whoop the whole living crap out of these uh, these critters. Yeah. Uh, and this is this is kind of a, this is this is one of my favorite sequences in the film because this is when we discover that Ilias should have been using this bow all along. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> solves a lot of problems. Solves a shit ton of problems when you can pull back that bow one time, have a magic arrow appear. Fire the magic arrow, and the magic arrow split into five separate arrows and murder every villain you see. <laughs> I want this bow. <laughs> no matter how many times you pull pull the string back, it just keeps going. It just keeps going. That's right. It's the first time I've not been irritated by a bow of infinite bolts. <laughs> because I tell you right now, once you get the the magic waka waka light show effect going, mm-hmm. I'm willing to buy almost anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like that silly Transformers bullshit. Come on. Machines aren't alive. (laughs) Siri, talk to me about... Oh, sorry. Let's move on. Now, let's discuss how they've strung up Mace. Mace, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, is crucified. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's strung up like, uh, I don't know, some poor sap in a Planet of the Apes movie. Mm -hmm. 
And then he gets... With a bad wig. Yes. <laughs> well, the bad wig's kind of a given at this point. <laughs> He's had it on for a while. We've not yet advanced to the state where there would be a, a pretty smart, you know, hair-lengthening weave attached to the actor to make it look natural. No, no, no. We're wearing a big hair helmet. But this this is the moment when I when uh, we're, we're about to watch what I'm pretty sure is going to be this long cliff dive as Ilias... Has finished fighting off these scumbags with his bow. Dives off the cliff into the water to uh, to rescue our man Mace from being tied at the bottom of this sea to this big cross beam crucifix, and it doesn't. Mace just drowns. <laughs> <laughs> and then a couple of porpoises get yes, all curious. Yes, apparently, just the porpoise rescue patrol here comes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, it's like they wait till he kills off, yeah. and then they come down and 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 chew away at the bonds at his wrists. And then just let him wash up dead on the shore. This actually happens. This, uh, <laughs> I'm not making this Rod up. is not making this up. No, no, and, and it, it's a testament to how rich, I guess that's one word, in ideas, <laughs> this film <laughs> is. How, let's just say there's an abundance of concepts, <laughs> abundance of... A number of, of them. That I totally, until we got to it right here, and every time I watch the film, I totally forget about the freaking dolphins that come in and rescue Mace, you know, when he's drowning because there's just so much. I'm just, like, I'm just like, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, that's right. He gets rescued by dolphins, for Christ's sake, comes in. Yeah, or, yeah. Literally, for Christ's sake, and he comes in. <laughs> yes, I'm about to say, crucifixion, Christ. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Christ was saved by dolphins. Yeah, Is, yeah. Wait, am I remembering that right? Were there dolphins involved in the Christ story? Twelve dolphins. Twelve dolphins. Twelve Twelve dolphins. dolphins. Yes. That's what yes. it was. Each with each with an extra blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I totally it always sneaks up on me, but it's like yeah, it's one another just great crazy ideas is that he's he did gets rescued from drowning. Yeah yeah. Ilias just gives up on him. It's like well my buddy's drowned. I'm I'm I'm. I'm well, I know. It's like that's what I mean. On the beach. Oh wait, he's, there he is. Roams the beaches. Roams <laughs> the beaches. Roams yeah. the beaches crying. Uh huh. Never thought to dive into the <laughs> dive off the cliff and go yeah. save his buddy. Yeah. Well, I guess he's dead. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it sucks that I came back because all I got to do is come back and watch him die, I guess. But uh, Oh, is that uh, a conch shell over there? <laughs> oh. oh, no, that's a corpse. I think that may be Mace. Roll him over. Holy shit, he's breathing. How are you still alive? God, it's so weird. Well, that night, Ilias is sucked. Now, it's like the movie's not over, by the way. No, no. There's the, still the, we, shit got a to ways do. to go, yeah. That night, Ilias is sucked down into the lair of the sub of subterranean monsters, just when you think this movie has shown you every yeah. whacked out, yeah. frightening yeah. critter that it can throw at you, now got new ones hang loose. Um, Mace, uh, when Mace follows them, he discovers the young man hanging upside down, and this is where we get into uh, we get into serious spoilers. We warned you at the beginning. They were probably going to spoil this, and I'm going to going to admit that uh, at this point we're in the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, and it is uh, it is definitely spoiler time. So, if you do not wish to uh, hear a discussion of the way this film wraps up, now would be the time to cut this off. Go see Conquest, or maybe don't see Conquest. I think at this point you will have you will have a sense of whether or not you're going to enjoy this film or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then come back and join us so that this uh, this next uh, switcheroo narrative switcheroo that the film takes won't mm. necessarily uh, be ruined for you. So, uh, Mace follows Ilias down into this lair of subterranean monsters, and he discovers Ilias hanging upside down with his head cut off. Now, at first, every time I've watched this movie, I keep... I, I, if it's been long enough that I don't remember all the uh-huh. details, there's a part of me that wonders if this is some kind of nightmare or... 
or hallucination or something of that nature because it's like, well, they can't kill Ilias off, especially off screen. I mean, we just discover his headless corpse. What in the hell is going on here? Usually, when I watch, when I've come to it fresh, you know, after a while, it's it's uh, the scene. It's so his body hanging up there is so dark and hard to make out that it's not till it suddenly cuts to his severed head that I go like, "Whoa, wait a minute, whatever." You know, it's like I don't realize what I can never see clearly when I'm not thinking of looking for it. What Mace is looking up there at, you know, what mm-hmm. he's, when it shows the headless body, you know, it's it's just so dark in film. So then it cuts though to the scene of. Uh, Okron holding his severed head, and that's where I'm just like, like, uh, oh crap! I think there was, uh, you know, a few bits of good writing in this, or a good editor, because um, you, mm. you are startled mm-hmm, yeah. when all of a sudden yeah. they're carrying yeah. Ellie's head, head yeah. in their hands. Yeah. It's just so, so yeah. like, wait a minute, the movie's not over yet, and yeah. and how could he be dead? What's, yeah, because you pull because we've seen him be carried away by these creatures. So you just think the yeah. next time we see him, he's probably going to be you know crucified too, or torturing, being tortured, he's gonna he's gonna be tied up in some way, and Mason's going to rescue yeah, him. That's Mace's what you think's going to happen. Right. But that is not what happened. This has been this is the return of Zora, who we next see delivering the severed head to Okron. Uh, we then watch uh, Mace light a funeral pyre and uh, sits beside his friend's burning body as it is consumed by the flames. Ilias speaks to him inside his mind. This is where we get into more of the supernatural mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Once Ilias is dead, it's almost as if he's... You're doing um, that Ben Kenobi thing. Right, yeah. well, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if that his, uh, his maybe inherent supernatural nature is now more in evidence. Uh, the bow was just an outward sign of it, and now with his death, there's more of it being brought to the fore. So, um, Ilias speaks to him and tells him to anoint himself with the ashes, with the ashes of of his own body. This will pass on the power that the god Kronos gave to Ilias and make the magic bow his. Which, of course, makes you wonder about why I was trying to give him the bow earlier Mm. before he left. But nevertheless, Mm -hmm. we'll skip Mm -hmm. past that because we're talking about mythological tales Mm -hmm. here. Um, Mace confronts Okron in her cave, and the bow the bow flies through the air into his hands. He fires a magic arrow, which penetrates Okron's mask, revealing the hideous, ugly face of a ghoul atop her smooth female nakedness. And that's a pretty effective reveal. I mean, yeah. and the first time mm-hmm. it's pretty jolting, you know, because it's, it really it's pretty is. good makeup too. It really it's is. It's pretty hideous, and yeah. and it's really. Yeah, because I think you've seen her so long that I think I stopped wondering the first time I saw it. I'm wondering why she wears the mask, you know? You just think yeah. it's a weird villain thing, you know? Right. And then you really see the reason. It's like, whoa, that's pretty... Definitely I think it's also fascinating that she's got this gorgeous body, mm-hmm. but then you've got this face. Mm-hmm. So it's like from mm-hmm. one end of, the spe- end of the spectrum to the other. Well, there's a there's a part of me, there's and this is just from having read way too much pulp high fantasy over the over the years of my life, but there's also a part of me that thinks that the reason she's wearing the mask is to obviously hide yeah, that yeah. face. Mm-hmm. And it, there is that part of, uh, of this kind of storytelling where the idea is that the, uh, the body is so beautiful and so alluring because the head, the brain, the, the mm-hmm. thing that drives the body is so hideous, so awful, so mm-hmm. off-putting, so terrible. And it is because of the hideousness of that that one, you wear the mask, and it is that that makes you the villain. It is that hideous upper part, that 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 ugly face that is being reflected of the the the, the evil mind behind it, 
And so having seen that in a number of different types of fantasy stories over the years, it's like, ah, I should have seen this coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does make you do think you do kind of make your, catch yourself thinking, oh, I should have been asking all along why she's wearing this yeah. mask, but I forgot yeah, to stop thinking about it, yeah. you know, just stop wondering. Oh, and, and how about the violence of, of the, the, che- the chest explosion that we get, <laughs> oh we get of Okron? I mean, we, we get it in that first vision where, she's, where she sees the faceless mm, yeah. man who's obviously Ilias yeah. uh, kill her. But, uh, man. Well, that's... well, obviously Ilias, but now at this point we realize it's, it's or we're it's about amazing. to realize that it's this reason why she couldn't see the face. Yeah. Yeah, there was not Ilias at all this whole time. Right, right. It's pretty clever. Yes, it really is. That's, that's one of those really nice stories. That's what we're talking about. You know, as crazy as this story seems, the big part of it, it does actually kind of tie together. It's together. Mm-hmm. It's pretty weird. As Well, as Okron dies, she transforms into a wolf and runs off into the wilderness mm-hmm. with the white wolf Zora. Yeah. Now, this is, I think, what you were talking about, Troy, where you really wanted to dig into how... Mm-hmm untypical how against the grain this ending really is because that is not you're you're expecting mm. some kind of like knockdown throwdown sword yeah. battle or you know yeah. maybe a, a magic wizard duel or some kind of some kind of violence yeah. that would top this to give us a sense of the the villain kind of really being put in their place, yeah. being done away with. Yeah, and get the villain, you know, yeah, waiting for the villain to get their come up and but yeah. the fact she just transforms into this wolf and then kind of runs off with with Zor, the other villain, the other villain <laughs> mm-hmm. wolves, and it's almost like it has this weird kind of sense of like they've been freed as well. Like I mean, like things have worked out, like because they're just kind of running yeah. happily off into this beautiful sunset. And it's almost like like she's been freed from her hatred, evil. You know, it's just a strange, poignant kind of ending for the villain. It's just like, where did this come from? And kind of stri- it's strikingly it's not visually beautiful. Yeah. yeah, not yeah. a barbarian sorcery ending. No, it's no, really it's not. not. No, yeah. no, it is. And I'm going to run my reference back to this. It's the ending of an art film. Yeah, yeah. That's what this is. Mm -hmm. And this is the really weird thing where I have to finally make this argument. This movie is, as strange as it may seem, a sword and sorcery. Although there's not really any swords in it. I mean, so it's a a bow and sorcery. (laughs) Monster movie. Epic art film done on a budget that really should have precluded anybody even thinking they were going to get away with this shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, depending on you know how you think about this, they really didn't get away with this because it wasn't a profitable movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't make you know they didn't really make any money off this damn thing. But taken as how we view it, how the audience is going to end up viewing it, especially over the decades, I find it weird that it is so strangely successful in ways that so many films of this type aren't even really trying to be. Yeah. Uh, because I think that that's one of the complaints that a lot of people, myself included, always had with uh, that big burst of sword and sorcery films that came out in the 80s, uh, the, the first part of the 80s there, is that really what those movies were doing were kind of mining all of this, these, these decades and decades of stories and kind of cherry-picking wonderful pieces from them and then slopping them together in their own storylines to kind of take, you know, like a greatest hits approach to making up their own film. And, I mean, you can even see that in the way Conan the Barbarian, probably the best of the lot, was done where it's not a linear story. Uh, it's, not, it's not telling a specific Conan story that was written by Robert E. Howard. It's taking bits and pieces from 
Conan stories that Howard wrote, bits and pieces from Conan comic books, mm-hmm. and placing them together in order to tell the story that they're going to tell on screen. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth of almost all of those fantasy films yeah. from the early 80s, where they're taking ideas and sometimes whole concepts and sequences out mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. pulp fiction from the past and welding them together into their own thing. Don't get me wrong. Love it. Everybody does it. You, you borrow the best pieces and mm. you pray yeah. that people just enjoy it enough to let you get away with that kind of theft. Mm. Not a problem. That's good. Everybody has these influences. And if you're playing in these fields, there are some ideas that you cannot avoid no matter what you do anyway. But this film is almost, it's one of the few that's consciously drawing your attention to the fact that that is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We are attempting to craft a myth. We're yeah. not trying to pretend yeah. that there's a reality right. that you're you're seeing here that is hard and fast and something that you could step into like you could imagine stepping into the Hyborian Age in, the Con- in, in, in Conan. That feels like a re- they're trying to make it seem like a real place. They're not trying to make this a real place. The edges of where the, this world ends and begins, there are no names for places. They never talk about, and they never give names mm-hmm. to any of the places where Ilias grew up. There's no name for that place. Mm-hmm. He never calls it by name. There's not like a name for the tribe that he belonged to or the people that he came from. There's no name for these various peoples that they encounter along the ways as, they're, as they go in these different places. Mm-hmm. There's not a, a, a firm attempt to slap labels on almost anything in this mm-hmm. it's almost as if trying to not name them just letting them be these mythological symbols and piecing them together in the standard narrative form they're creating their own their own mythological tale and kind of doing it without trying to draw attention to the fact that that's yeah. what they're doing yeah. which to me kind of gives them points for you know for yeah. a, a, attempted difficulty i mean yeah. Yeah. it would be so easy to, 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 to lay back and, and give these things certain specific names. They have a lot of exposition. You know, right, to right. Yeah. And the great la- no exposition. No. Yeah, no. there's none. None. We don't, we don't get that big, like I said, we don't get the that thing narration. in the beginning. There's no narrative. Uh, yeah, there's no, like, <laughs> there's no big scroll yeah. and voiceover at the beginning of the film. Yeah. In the land in of the, God, world. where the <laughs> giant wizards once permeated the land and the celestials descended and took a crap and lo, it was werewolves. No, none of that. We don't get any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> in the time before time. In the time, there, you, there go. you go. That's yes. the given. It's perfect yes. example. Oh, that. That time before time. Oh, oh, yeah. that's, that's my, that may be my favorite example of that kind of bullshit <laughs> ever. And it's 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 there from the very beginning where they don't give you any of that stuff. They just slowly slide you into this very gauzy, well, strangely hazy world. And that's listen. That's the best cue I think now is I know you've really been wanting to talk about, it, and I think it's good because I want to tie some of that mysticism at the end to this beginning. So let's go okay. all the way back to the beginning of the film, Jeff, and talk about some of the things. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. The time before the beginning. That's right. That's right. To the beginning before the beginning. Before the beginning. Well. With the film just starting off, it is it does not do the audience any favors. No, it does not. Nope. So basically, you've got um, like this Zeus father figure, and then you've got Perseus right in front of him, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks like they're providing a like a leather um, fr- uh, chest covering. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And then they right. give him then they give him the bow itself. Now, uh, this is a really strange sequence. Just uh, the way it's shot. It's an overlay on top of another sequence, so it's, it's mm-hmm. basically double exposed, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's very 
it's it's mystical it's bizarre and um you're not helping the audience you know get on track with the, what this film is going to be about right right that's absolutely true it's it's it, it and the fact that then even after they go through this where they get him prepared for his journey then don't they just all disappear again and it's just like left with just looking at the beach yeah. again yeah so it's, like, it's like they fade away like yeah. Like like we're all this is taking place over the course of days, and we're just getting these little drifting moments of it, so that you get an idea of how these things happen, without it being a realistic depiction day to day of how these things happen. Well, and what I what I wrote was, are the ghostly figures meant to tell us we're looking at the ancient past, or do these people exist in an ethereal state, maybe as a way of softening the shock of Elias's death later and kind of also explaining how he still seems to be involved in things even after he's dead, you know, like he's, he's yeah, still yeah. affecting things. Is there, these, is there something just, are these just supernatural beings altogether? Because once we get past that and Elias is on his way, then for the whole bulk of the film, he's treated as a very, very human, very yep. vulnerable mm-hmm. character, you know. But then once he dies, then we get these, you know, these weird moments like with the the bats in the cave like calling you like when I'm here calling Mace's name you know like speaking and then we get you know again he talks to you know he's like once he's dead he's he's sort of returning to like maybe his people actually exist in this kind of state but then also my other part of that was just wondering or is it just supposed to make this feel kind of storybook to the viewer to just show like we're seeing again just you know images of the past of thing you know of an ancient past things that have happened long ago and are you know and are and, and, and just to kind of get you in that sort of state of that you're just witnessing a fantasy you know just to purely give it that fantasy I think feel. part of it might also be um, them watching like Clash of the Titans Mm. <laughs> oh well, yeah. You. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay, it's, you could be right. Very, it's very much clash, <laughs> yes. Because that is the first thing you think of. It. These are the gods of Olympus that are exactly. all just, you know, yes. They, that but is, then they do. Picture. Then they do disappear right in front of you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the end, I'm sorry, but I was going to say mm-hmm. what ties it to them at the end is the last scene you see of Mace walking off after the villains have run off in their dog, you know, wolf form. You know, it's the last scene you see of him walking away. He's kind of fading. Too. Fading into the fading into the mist, yeah. yeah which also made me mm. think, like, is that a tie back to the beginning where it's like now that now that Elias has he's put on Elias's ashes, essentially he's put on right. his skin. Is he now one of these? Okay, you finally got to it. Yeah. Putting on his skin. Yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. glad you find. I'm glad you said it that way because I didn't mm. want it, I didn't want it to be the giant leap that I was afraid mm. it was going to be when I brought mm. it up, which is yes, mm. that that wrap around where we the, that ethereal fading in and out mm. that we get at the beginning when we're introduced to I- Ilias the only time that comes back is there at the end mm. after Mace has put mm. on mm. the I, I guess you'd call it the flesh yeah. of Ilias now that he's his, his body's been burned and oh, and I just want to say real quick yeah. only Fulci would show a body burning sequence like that that's actually so detailed and gruesome and and, 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 yeah. and really effective you know most we see this in a million you know the burning of the hero's body or something we've seen that in so many films but I've never seen anybody linger on it in such detail as Fulci does I mean it's very realistic and grim and gruesome looking you know but but, but it has a purpose it in does. the story yes it does yeah. we, we, we have to it's almost as if he's uh, you're afraid that he's rubbing your nose in it because he has special effects men who, mm-hmm. who are willing to pull this off but they do sit on you know uh, at least you know burning for way too long I mean it's it's like a Food Network chicken cook off or something like that. <laughs> keep waiting for them, keep waiting for them to rotate him. It's like, hey, right. there we go. but they, 
but they zoom in really close. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like and really... always like, simmered right I was there. like, man, this was like really a little bit too realistic. I still wondered at times if they like kind of like got loan of a body from a local morgue or something and actually <laughs> exactly. murdered. It's pretty, exactly. pretty gruesome and, and, and really realistic looking. But I think the lingering so long is I think he's just... I think more... It, it definitely makes it more of an effective and, and uh, almost... Almost because it is a... That's always a ritual, anyway. When you mm-hmm. do that, when you're, you know, when yeah. and when they're burning it. This time, I think it really brings home the the really ritualistic aspect of it because of of how long it lingers on the sequence, and then what he does afterwards, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, which with is the, ashes. the the rubbing of the ashes on himself, which is essentially putting the the flesh of his friend onto him. And to me, it is a ritual because it seems to be completing this uh, this uh, this friendship that they've been growing that they've been growing th- together mm-hmm. to the point where this is almost the end of a, of, a, of a ritual where it's cementing the spiritual bond between these two characters because mm-hmm. the end of the film has mace taking on the quest that Ilias started mm-hmm. so what we have here is the two characters kind of merging into one and becoming this hero character that didn't exist before, there was the young man who wanted to be that, mm-hmm. but didn't have all of the. He didn't have the experience. He didn't have the skills. He didn't have the the the, the life under his belt. The the knowledge of what can be done and what can't be done that Mace is supposed to impart to him. But mm-hmm. in this story, he's not imparting it to him like a teacher or a mentor. Mm-hmm. He's actually absorbing all of the the younger graces, the younger mm-hmm. uh, energy, and uh, in other words. The story could have gone either way, with Mace being the one who dies, mm-hmm. and Ilias taking on the aspects that he would need from that man to continue his quest. Which would be more traditional. Yeah. Which, uh, exactly. Yes, would. That would be the way this story... Yeah. That's the way you think this kind of story is going to go every right. time you mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. This movie inverts it, turns mm-hmm. it on its head, and it mm-hmm. is the older man who takes on the aspects of the younger man, and it gives him a purpose in life mm-hmm. because that's the one thing that we've been very clear about in this movie all along is that Mace is just a he just drifts from place to place. He shows up like the 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 the, the women in that cave. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, yeah, when anytime I come by, we you know mm-hmm. we we get together. Essentially, we get together and have sex. I bring some food, mm-hmm. and then I move on. Mm-hmm. And it's like so. This is just the way he's lived for for years at this point, and now at the end of this. He has Ilias's purpose. He is a changed man. Yeah. Got a few other things I want to throw out here real sure. quick. First sure. of all, am I the only one who thought of those weird subterranean creatures at the end of the film as the blacklight cave demons? <laughs> well, I did mention the blue tinted fight there and all with the yeah, yeah. blue tinted, no. but yeah, blacklight demons. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's being back like being in the back of old Spencer's gift shop or you know, back in those days. You're expecting to. <laughs> see the posters or sift through the black light posters <laughs> ooh weird and it's like there's a there's a part of me that's going well so did you did you snort lines off a black off a black velvet poster and then <laughs> kick on the black light to see what it would look like I, I called them the acrobatic blue man group <laughs> <laughs> I love it I didn't think about that yes oh, Mace versus yeah. the blue man group yeah that's pretty good <laughs> um I've mentioned that this is a sword and sorcery film without the swords mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of clubs a lot of clubbing a lot of whacking of skulls, mm. a lot of... Uh, I mean, we, we skated right past where we could have talked for a good long time <laughs> about the woman that gets ripped in half oh, and God, devoured. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's some that's some weird... That is the moment where essentially you feel Fulci kind of throwing the, throwing the ace card on the table and going, I've got this. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can't expect this to not happen for the rest of the movie because I've already done this. Yeah. It might be this hideous for the rest of the picture. <laughs> that's true. It was, it was early it, on. It is very yeah. early, you know. Yeah. 
it's that's some rough shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I always um, I'll, when every time I come to this movie, I, I have to remind myself, oh yeah. It's still like the uh-huh. it's still like the special effects grotesque grotesqueries from those famous four horror films that's still lingering here. Mm-hmm. This is still <laughs> this is still kind of like a holdover. Like mm-hmm. uh, they, we 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 had all these great gags, we couldn't find a way to fit into those uh, those other films that are barely linear. Let's try to throw this in here. Let's uh, we can we can rip somebody in half. Why don't we do that? I um. I have to mention too. Uh, talk about the talk about the uh, this world's. I guess what qualifies as this world's like whipping boys, you know, or those, <laughs> those poor those poor hairy natives, you know, like that. Uh, oh, I know. That just you know pretty much just get victimized by everybody, including our heroes. I mean, it's still they get it still stolen cracks, from. Well, yeah. well, it, it, it still cracks up. And I have to say, every time I see the the men, you know, I just expect. When I'm to turn the screen and go, it's you know, like, like, like <laughs> I, I called him in my notes the Monty Python guys, you know, because they look like the little guy the, in Monty Python at the beginning of each episode. And uh, but but the one where the ones just walking, you know, you've just been introduced to your heroes. I have to use quotation marks at this point over heroes because then we cut to the guy and he's 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 walking with his Bill's his food man. and suddenly he just gets mace just drops him with an arrow to take his food and and Ilias I just know. Ilias doesn't even give him shit about he it. Just you know? I mean, he's just it yeah, just he looks kind of yeah, yeah. And he shoots just, him in Rio just I mean yeah, yeah. In Reno just to watch him die yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no he shot him he shot him in yeah. mythological land just to, just to steal That's his right. food there's, there's no labels That's there's right. no there's no names no places I'm really kind of shocked that we get like names for the people I mean, yeah, there has to be true. some kind of yeah. you know some kind of verbal designation so that we know who these people are I, I guess I think the only time a place is actually called anything is he said mentioned some point about Okron living beyond the great mountains it's like wow that's, that's a really right. thought a long time about that <laughs> well, it, remi- it reminds me of the, the, the joke that that I that, that I keep returning to there's always that joke about uh, going through the universal horror films and talking yeah. about all these myth- these these fictional towns like the town of Viseria and Frankenstein uh, uh, and how uh, you and I, when we were talking about the the first couple of intersanctum films we were discussing I was uh, yeah. I, brought, I brought up how the, they they work their asses off to never nail down exactly where the story is taking place. Yeah. So that even when they're giving names, they have to give names to places that they're going to go. That yeah. are like out in the countryside for the weekend. They're the most generic. Malcolm Falls. Yeah, you know so the most generic names that could literally be anywhere. You don't know where any of this shit's taking place. And in this movie. You literally the, the, the whole setup of the thing is that we of course there's no place that this takes place in there's no place in the real world this takes place in but we're not even going to pretend yeah. to give it a name. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's there's no there's no town or city or region or tribe name or anything. I mean uh, even in some even even in a shit ton of these movies where you get this thing where it's like the 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 tiger clan or the yeah. or the or the, <laughs> right. or the the wolf the wolf t- the wolf uh, tribe the wolf tribe that's something that, that's something you run across often and no, <laughs> nope none of that none of that where we we got nothing for it we're just here and they are over there yeah. and some of them live in a cave and some of them live near water <laughs> and, and some, some of them fire boil creating arrows out of nowhere at you. Well, in this case, I have to also say on the other end of the spectrum there is if you're going to call, when you think of like, you know, your villain is called Okron, then you think like, okay, you can leave the names out. We don't need names. You can just, don't work too hard. Don't work too hard for that. You know? <laughs> well, Ma- I mean. It, mace. I mean, let's write the name. Mace. Right. Now, here's the, th- here's the thing. Who does not have a mace? <laughs> Who right. Right. Why doesn't mace carry a mace? Or wouldn't why he, wouldn't he, he be called that? 
Or why isn't he called, uh, what's his... What? Fern, Fernunchucks? Fern, 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 the Fern, That's his Fern, middle name. Fern, Come Fern, on. Fern, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> Mace, I thought, I thought his name was Mace Read T. The outlaw. Mace T. Outlaw. But you're telling me it's Mace T. Furry Nunchucks <laughs> Outlaw. He doesn't know how to spell his name. No. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I very much doubt that. I mean... <laughs> Nobody, nobody's settling down with a good scroll before before going to sleep at night. <laughs> These people are subliterate, after all. Except for the wonderful cave dwellers brothel that he visits. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like I said, yeah, I just you know I bring I bring a, the occasional stolen dead animal here yeah. And, yeah. and get laid. I mean, that's essentially what he does here. It's kind of, it's kind of man, he doesn't have a purpose, and he probably you know has syphilis. Who knows? I mean, you don't know. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, gentlemen, <laughs> to find a way to wrap up about Conquest is almost impossible, is. but I'm going to give it a up, shot. Yeah. Um, this is a film that is not thought of highly, even amongst uh, most Fulci fans. Mm-hmm. I know that and apparently all three of us are, mm-hmm. are in, the, uh, in the, uh, the minority on that. I really do enjoy this film, and I enjoy it in ways that I don't always expect to enjoy a Lucio Fulci film. Yeah. It's rare that I see... Um, Strange depths and symbolisms, yeah, symbolic representation within a Lucio Fulci film, especially from this period. And so, to me, it stands out in a way from uh, his films, uh, not just because it is really the only kind of the only uh, film of this type that he ever ever made, Mm -hmm. but because it seems to have a lot more on its mind than its detractors would admit to. Mm -hmm. So. uh, I like this film. I hope we kind of draw some people's attention to it who may not have ever given it a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's it's a movie that I think, uh, quite honestly, I think that its uh, its reputation can really only grow. I, I don't know that I don't know that uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it would be, it would be a, a film that um, could uh, ever really be talked about in a way that hasn't hasn't been insulting and already written down on paper and printed up. Mm-hmm. By, by people who already know these films very well. This is not a, a well thought of film in general, and I'm I'm hoping that by talking about it here today, we kind of give whoever's listening to this the uh, the impetus to think about it in a different way and maybe give it a try if you haven't before, or even if you've watched it and think it's a piece of garbage, maybe we've kind of uh, given you the idea that it might be a good idea to try it again to give it mm-hmm. to give it another look with an eye toward what the film is doing rather than what the film is not doing. I had only seen it once before reviewing it for, you know, starting to watch it for our, our podcast. I'd just seen it, and uh, it had been several years, and I, my memory of how I thought I felt about it was I remember enjoying it, but enjoying it in that kind of, man, this is just an insane film kind of way. You yeah. Know? Not necessarily a bad film, but I was I remember just thinking, this is just, just a crazy film and, and just full of, you know, just insane ideas in that kind of way, you know. So watching it the this time around, I was surprised by how much I really appreciated that as real quality in the film and how much I appreciated of the fact that the story does, that it does tell a really interesting story and has really interesting things, like you said, ideas to think about in at the same time that it is just throwing one new thing at you every few minutes, you yeah, know, and who, with incredible visuals and incredible ideas. Who would have thought the movie has themes? Yes, it really does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Also with the uh, main villainous, Okron, <laughs> I, I am, but I, I am fascinated by the uh, narcotic nature 
oh, of, yeah. of, of the brains that uh, she <laughs> she and the werewolf were 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 critters yeah were creatures you know are fascinated and enjoy quite a bit but also while she's taking this narcotic she gets these orgasmic oh yeah we forgot fat, about you know, oh right yes but but basically this leads to her being able to see glimpses of the future. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And so I think that's I think it's fascinating. First of all, the well, the concept of you know eating somebody's brain, <laughs> you know, where did that first come back? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. I think we should like eat some brains and see yeah. if we can see the future. Yeah. Like, yeah. even amongst the cannibals, is that is that like one of the choice bits? I mean, is the brain you know is that what you go for? Is that a, is there? I would wonder about. Sorry, I'm not it. an it's expert, the, but oh, come <laughs> on. <laughs> but I think that's a. I think it's an interesting little mm-hmm. caveat to, to mm-hmm. the story itself. Yeah, yeah, and it is one of those things that uh, once again, in a film like this, who I mean, who would have thought that it's something that would make you think down that road? Is like, well, wait a minute, what, what makes a human brain, you know. That have, create yeah. hallucinations, or have you seen future, or experience prophetic visions? What what are we? How does what are the world? What kind of world are we in here? And it's like, well, it, it ain't Malcolm Falls. Because <laughs> <laughs> what because what is it she says when didn't she say something when she's eating Elis's brains and when she's going to eat his brains? Us doesn't she say something about how now I'll get his power or now well she says something, something about absorbing happen. something yeah I can't remember exactly mm, what she says I, don't remember, right. I didn't write down the exact dialogue but I mean again she has the idea when she's that there's that yeah she says something like that so apparently yeah there's something when you you, you gain something from the person when you when you eat and, and and apparently even the lowest of these like native inhabitants that they torture have something that she can gain from well I think she yeah. does say that she likes them young which oh, that's true granted, so maybe everybody likes them young oh, well hey, no, 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 <laughs> but, let's just be honest yeah. but but I but I think, okay, got to put a pedophile warning on this. <laughs> but I think this goes back to her wearing the mask. Mm. So if she yeah. gets enough of yeah. these young brains, basically mm. her her face will come back to... Oh, what, that's oh, so it's the Elizabeth Vittori kind of thing. Oh, yeah. oh, oh wow. That's an interesting another, idea. Another level there. I never thought uh, down that either. path. Me that's either. not a bad think, way of looking. I think I there's wonder. quite a bit more in this movie. Yeah, it really is. Damn you, sir! You may be right, and how did I not think of that? Perhaps no, no, she's no. consumed enough brains to look, you know, like Sabrina Siani from the neck down, but <laughs> not enough to get that whole head thing going. Now, if you're gonna, if, if you want us to tell you how she went from being a wolf to being this, you know, beautiful naked oh, well, woman yeah. with uh, a creature, I'm afraid you're on your own. I haven't got any thoughts on <laughs> yeah, that whatsoever. But uh, uh, there's <laughs> almost no information given on the Zora character. Yeah. Oh, I know. And what do, you, what do you think about his outfit? Because you never see the you never see the human the human form's face. He's covered in this incredible outfit that's it's like the mask and the the the, the kind of thing that drapes down his head. It's like, it's like a steel chainmail. Yeah, it's like yeah. made out of green tiles. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting looking, and it's and it, no one else in the movie looks like this at yeah. all. No, but I think it's I think it's funny how he describes himself though. He's the king of darkness, <laughs> the <laughs> master of treachery. Oh yeah, and the light of all evil. And it's like right now, I just I, the, I, that's like the opening of, at a concert venue, and now the lights go bright and the music just cranks. <laughs> but, but apparently, he doesn't have any game at all because he's doing everything he does just so he can screw the kid, screw the villain. Yeah. You know, apparently, that's his, that's his plan. He's like, I've got all, I'm all these things, but I'm just. You know, I, still, well, maybe just, I still need a date for Saturday maybe he's, night. Maybe he's, exactly. broke. maybe he's broke. Maybe the, that <laughs> yeah. tile outfit of his is more than we so think. Much yeah. That, yeah. 
<laughs> but it seems like he could rule the world. Yeah, he could. It seems like he could have anybody he wants, but you yeah, know, exactly. But, but, uh, but no, I was just gonna let her go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is such a weird film. Oh, it is, folks. It is. And I'm sorry that it took me this long to say that, but it yeah. is. Uh-huh. It is such a weird film. It is something that the film does not bring into a sharp focus, but it does. You you have to think about it a little bit, but quite honestly, this film. Uh, the, the the magic that this bow may or may not have for the people that that exist in this world is this is the only weapon we see in this entire film that is a weapon that can kill from a distance. Now, of course, it ends up being magical and being able to, like, murder five people at once, but, especially if you're crouched correctly on a cliff face, <laughs> that is the, the weirdest thing about this, is it's really the only kind of murder-from-a-distance bow, you know, weapon that the film presents. Well, there's... <laughs> They don't even use spears in this thing very well. Well, there's the one scene where we have all the something projectiles launched over their heads from somewhere. And we never, But we never see where they come from. We right. don't even know if they are. Or maybe they're living creatures or something. One of them embeds oh, itself yeah. finally. In, in, well, uh, they came from the reeds. Yeah, yeah, just right. out of there. Yeah. But, so, we, but we never see, like, you know, a little bit, maybe little pygmy creatures or something that are firing these. We don't them, know. So, yeah. Are these just the, are they being launched by the plants? <laughs> I mean, or yeah. an invisible chimp. The frogs. <laughs> ah, there don't you, you go. bring up no fucking <laughs> invisible. Oh, oh, time to crash this one down now. All right. That's, that's, that bell you heard, folks, is the sound of the episode being over. Well, gentlemen, uh, do you have anything else that we need to discuss about Conquest from 1983? You know, it's it's uh, we could probably talk for hours about it, but we got to wrap this up. And and if you think we've mentioned everything, by the time you go to watch this film, folks, if you haven't seen it yet, you'll have forgotten half of what we told you, and it's still going to catch you by surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, believe me, you won't even remember the black light creatures in the dark. It just no. won't matter to you. He'll just suddenly be there, and you'll be holy shit! Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely had a, a better appreciation for it seeing it a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, I could actually see the narrative. I could see. The issues that are in front of each character, and uh, I'm fascinated by Okron, who's you know brings brings the the sun up in the morning and puts it down to bed at night. Mm. I really thought you were going to say brings the nudity. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> but that's a given. Well, I guess that is a given. That's for sure. Yeah, and and we've had some discussions in some recent uh, Bloody Pit episodes. It's been brought up, kind of questioned about. The whole 4K era, you know, the 4K thing now, oh, you know, how, whether it benefits some films, oh, yeah. hurts others. This film, I don't think the people that made this film, like, uh, you know, the cinematographer, uh, Alejandro Ulloa and Lucio Fulci, if they were still around, you know, like, I think they'd be horrified at the thought of this being put under a 4K, you know, given the mm-hmm. 4K treatment because of just it might totally wreck what they were trying to go for right. visually. I don't know if it could really wow. improve. I don't know if a restoration of this film would, would really enhance it or help it. Uh, I don't know if it would or not. You know, I mean, yeah, there are parts when you watch a film where you're just like, man, I wish I could see that a little better. But I think because that look was so intentionally part of what they're trying to do, I'd hate to see that messed with too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, now don't get me wrong. It's strange in the very do, beginning. You know, they come out with a, they come out with a, enhanced version of this film. Of course, I'm going to get it because I'll have to know. I'll have to know <laughs> well, what, what have it does. But, myself, but, yeah. yeah. Well, it's bizarre to have a, a strong double exposure in the very beginning of the film mm-hmm. and not do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Just to make it more mystical mm-hmm. and or, um, you know, similar to like mm-hmm. old, 
you know, Greek writings or whatnot. Mm. Oh, but, well, but, yeah, once again, just adding to that whole feeling of mythological. Yeah, uh, mythological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, yeah. I think that, but I think that some of the, some of the images in this film are so stunning. Some of the, you know, because of the way that it uses sunlight and reflection. Oh, yeah. Some water, of those, you know, so those, those sunrises and sunsets oh, are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah and really I, are. some of those, yeah, the images like that. So I had to think to myself, like, I, I don't know how much, I don't know if you would mess with some of that if it, if it get, if it suddenly got in 4K or got like too enhanced mm. too much, if that would just, distort some of that some of that some of the reason why they're so striking may be because of the filters and because of the, the fog right. and the darkness of the film that makes those even more stunning I'd not really thought down that road simply because uh, I don't know that this is necessarily a film well I say that and then I have to <laughs> well, stop myself I don't know that Conquest is necessarily a film that's going to get you know some kind of massive blue uh, you know for, uh, 4k restoration or any, or 6k restoration mm. I now own a film by the way that's been that's pressed 6K. onto oh, my goodness. that is 6k oh my gosh Yes, not that it's on a 4K disc or a 6K disc. It is a Blu-ray, but the film itself was mastered from the original negative in 6K. And when I read that on the back of the disc, I was just like, oh my God, I was making jokes about 5K. <laughs> anyway, I don't know that ne that we would necessarily get that, but we might because mm. God knows somehow or another we're getting a 4K disc mm. of Bruno Mattei's Hell of the Living Dead. Yeah. So, yeah. What's next? Well, I think it's that all these companies, they own these films, they own these rights or whatever, and there's, you know, all these films are getting eaten up. There's less and less to, you know, that yeah. they're able to acquire. So they're like, well, to keep, we got to keep putting out products, and now we're just going to take the stuff we already have and let's, right. let's try and well, do Well, I mean, and, and that's kind of been the Blue Underground thing for like a decade or more now, which is just putting out the same thing again, only, you know, remastering it in 4K or whatever. And, and don't get me wrong, that's that's all well and good, but I mean, I can't. I can't mentally justify or financially justify mm. buying one of these films again when I already have it in high definition. But mm. at the same time, there are certain films, and Conquest might be one of them, where I would be really tempted to just see what they do with it yes. if, they, if they ramped it up into 4K. But mm. I'm, I'm weird. I'll, <laughs> not like anybody listening to this show doesn't already know that. <laughs> I'd also like to hear about you know what other film historians you know thought of the, thought of this film oh well yeah the film wasn't well reviewed it wasn't well thought of at the time it came out not that that should be that much of a shock yeah. i mean there were some there were some uh, kind reviews of it in different places i mean it kind of just barely came out here in the states it did come out here in the states but it was bought by a what was it um it got released in the us but the company that bought it to put it out originally they were going to release it on a certain number of screens but then they acquired sleepaway camp and it's Sleepaway Camp ended up getting all the advertising money, uh, and uh, the film got trimmed down to an R. That's why there's a certain difference. And now we have the uncut version, but it got trimmed to get an R. And then it came out here in the States, but only on a few hundred screens, not nearly the number of screens that people thought it was going to initially come out on. Mm. So it was almost crippled from the beginning, no matter mm. what. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, there were, you know, a couple of good reviews, but mostly it was in, it was entirely dismissed the same way that most of these sword and, sword and sorcery, you know, Johnny-come-lately films essentially were dismissed by most critics in the first place. I mean, don't get me wrong, that long list of these films, I mean, uh, it wasn't... A, I, I, I didn't catch up to Hawk the Slayer until just about two years ago. Hmm. And that's, that's definitely an obscure one. And not in my opinion that great a film mm -hmm. and I now hear fans of Hawk the Slayer wishing for my death mm -hmm. but I mean there are a lot of those films from that period of time that I truly do love um, I even have a lot of affection for things like 
Ator the Fighting Eagle, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean everybody loves Beastmaster, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. But uh, yeah, I do. I do. He even uh, talks to dolphins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Ferrets and dolphins, <laughs> brothers under the skin. <laughs> but this is, you know, this this is one of the weirder of this particular genre. The only film that really compares in the in the approach is a movie that I don't talk about very much because uh, not a lot of people have seen it. Even though there there is a Blu-ray of the film out there, uh, I would I would like to point people toward a very strange film that is sometimes known as uh, Ator Three. Hmm. It is. uh, It's called the Iron Master. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry, Iron Warrior. Pardon me. And it is. um, It's made by a director who I often make lots of fun of, but at the same time, budgetary constraints Mm. kind of push them into treating the sword and sorcery mythos building necessary to create a, a movie of this type into kind of the art film end of the spectrum as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not it was a, a choice made uh, for artistic merit rather than one made to uh, paper over the fact that they really didn't have the budget to make the kind of film that they wanted to make, um, it does have a lot of those same uh, kind of dreamlike uh, feelings that get generated by the fact that we kind of... It, I've often described Iron Warrior like this. You have Miles O'Keefe, who goes through a fight sequence and a section of of story exploration, and then we need to get the character to another another place. So instead of us renting some horses, filming the characters riding horses to another place, we just have fog enter the screen, (laughs) fade the image, and then we're where we need to be, and that next section of the film begins. They should have just had him stop the flow of time. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. I thought about that. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. So, uh, Conquest, go see it. <laughs> yes, that's what we're saying here. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for yeah, joining us here. This I would is like fun. Uh, th- this, this is always fun. This is this is the Fulci film that I chose. Uh, this one's definitely my choice because I had that Conquest Blu-ray sitting there, and I really, really wanted a reason to pull the plastic off of it. And here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you both for doing this. I would like to say that if anybody else has any comments about either Conquest, any other Lucio Fulci film, or any other movie that we've covered here on the podcast, reach out to us at. The bloody pit at gmail.com. Troy and I will sit down and have us a, uh, a whole big episode wrapped around nothing but emails here pretty soon. And yeah, the three, I was going to say, the three of us have kind of made uh, Italian films, uh, specifically Fulci films, but uh, uh, Italian films in general are bailiwick here. Yeah. So, you know, so if there's other things you'd like the three of us to tackle in the future, uh, let us know. Send us some suggestions. Certainly, we we can be influenced and or bought. <laughs> have I mentioned Have I mentioned my Patreon page? Oh yes, right. Go there, and give me three dollars, and you can hear me bitching moan about things that aren't even on the podcast. <laughs> it's or I give you four dollars and just not to bitch. <laughs> yeah, you give me five dollars and not pay attention to me at all. I will just take the money because that is how life works. So, friends, Jeff. Thank you very much for doing yeah, this. Man. Thank you. Thank Always you. Good to have you with us. Troy. It was a lot of fun. Great to hear you. Yep. Great to see you. And not so good to smell me. Yeah, there's that. There's that partial. <laughs> there's that and quite honestly, if uh, anyone else has noticed, we've had a snoring dog in the background yes, of the entire have. show. And I'd like to thank Wolfie for just being here and being cute enough to not make me angry because he's making noise. You would never think a dog that small could snore that. Uh, actually, he's not small at he's all. Not he's, small. Ta- he's taking up my entire couch here. <laughs> he's, 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 he's massive. He's, he's a piece of furniture. <laughs> oh, Lord.
Well, bo- both of you, once again, thank you for being here. Thank everyone. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening to the show, and uh, we will be back sometime soon.